Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This episode is a recording of a Waterstones event that I did with Abigail Dean. We did it online on Zoom and now I'm reposting the audio for everyone else to listen to. Abigail Dean, the author of Girl A, was formerly a Waterstones bookseller. She spent five years as a lawyer in London and then she took the summer of 2018 off work to write her debut novel and Girl A really is the one of the biggest books of 2021. It's everywhere, it's brilliant, I really enjoyed it. It's such a good thriller that you will not put down the minute you start reading it. She works as a lawyer for Google still and she is currently writing her second novel called The Conspiracies alongside her job. And we talk all about writing, how to fit in writing around your work, what it's like having such a hyped book come out after waiting for so long. And it was just such a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to her and I hope you enjoy listening. So here is the episode. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special Waterstones event. I'm so excited about this. This is one of my favourite books of this year, Girl A, and I'm going to talk to the author Abigail Dean all about the book, which will be very, very fun. And um, I'm Emma Gannon. I'm the author of Olive, my debut novel that came out last year. And this book is published by HarperCollins. It was described by Waterstones as an arresting debut that is both a page-turning thriller and a searing portrait of survival. It's about a character, Lex, girl A, and her siblings, who are having to confront the horrors of their past. And obviously there'll be no spoilers in this conversation, but it really is a page-turner and it's the book of the year in my eyes. So I'm here to talk to Abby, who hopefully is going to pop up. Hello. Are you on mute, Abby? I think you might be. <laughs> I am on mute. I'm no longer on mute. So it's the typical conference call issue. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. It's always the same. <laughs> um, so it's nice to talk to you. You know how much I love this book. I wrote you the longest, most emotional DM on Instagram <laughs> after reading it. So I got the proof at 4pm. I had finished it at 4am. I loved it. Sorry so, about that night's sleep. You are not going to back. <laughs> I know but it I mean I know people always say page turner and then you realize when you actually read one you're like no it actually was um so I'm going to start off with a bit of an obvious question but when you were writing this book did you have that in mind you wanted someone to race through it because every single chapter you're left wanting to know more I don't think I had it in mind when I was sort of writing but I know that the books that I love I I are often page turners I I think it's a case of kind of being involved in the characters so much that you just can't wait to know what happens to them that that's just kind of my favorite type of book in general Uh, and I think kind of when writing Girlie I didn't sort of set out to be like okay I want to write like a really kind of addictive thriller or I want to write something kind of literary it was more just I want to write um, a book that I myself would 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 love and that I is sort of similar to some of my favorite novels over time so so I think yeah maybe that's what adds the the compulsion I, I did want people to, to to be invested and to care so much about the characters that they, they want to know how each of them um, ends up 
Totally. And I can't wait to ask you more about each character in a minute because there are so many characters. This is a story about siblings and we get to know in detail their relationship with each other and, and them in detail. But um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about writing the book before we delve into the to the book itself. You took three months off work, didn't you, to start writing Girl A? But am I right in saying that you then kind of had to finish writing Girl A while you were back at work? So did you have two different writing experiences? Yeah, they were very, very different writing experiences because the three months obviously is just, it felt like a real luxury. Um, you know, there was, it was kind of having this like, it was, I think it was summer, it was summer of 2018. So it was also this like gloriously hot, long heat wave summer. Um, and I would just sort of take myself off to Dulwich Library and, you know, I could spend eight hours writing. Um, which was incredible and a kind of great privilege, really. And there would be the same characters in the library every day. Like there would be the same like old man reading the newspaper every morning and you know, school children came in at sort of 4 p.m. It just had this beautiful like routine to it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I started um, I started a, a, a new job. And obviously starting a new job, it's, you, you also want to kind of make a good impression as well. Um, so it, it, it was very much, yeah, a, a tale of two writing styles. And I think for, the, for at least the first few weeks after starting work again, I didn't write at all. I think probably for about a month. Um, and I actually found that in order to, to kind of basically prompt myself to, to return and to keep going, I had, to, I had to share some of the novel <clears throat> that I'd already written because I found that in that, that way it meant that other people were becoming invested in the story. And I think it sounds slightly um, pathetic almost, but I think I needed, um, I needed some cheerleaders and I needed people to, to give me the impetus to write on the way home from work and um, and kind of in the evenings and on weekends. And that was one of the top tactics I deployed to try and kind of keep going at a time when I lost all the luxury um, of time and just had to really snatch for it. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I, I think, you know, motivation is such a massive part of it. So it's really nice to hear that you did need to have something like hold yourself accountable in some ways to get it finished when you didn't have all of the time in the world but it was interesting reading the Guardian article today which is amazing and people listening in definitely go and read it finding out more about Abby in the book but you said something about how you found the creative writing scene at Cambridge where you went to university a bit intimidating and I just thought that was so relatable actually for a lot of writers that we're so sometimes we find that that scene can be quite pressured and dare I say a little bit snobby sometimes. Um, I mean, it's, it's surprising that you would even think that your writing is impeccable, but how did you overcome that? In a way, I guess I didn't. Um, I, I sort of failed at that because I, I was sort of quite interested at university. I think it's very, very easy to think that writing is not for you, potentially because you, you're not... Um, certain sort of um, person or maybe your writing doesn't fit a particular brief that that it seems a lot of people in a particular um, area you know, it, 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 your writing might just be different and yet I didn't have the 
courage really to share stuff I was writing um and, and you know for a great sort of swathe of time at university and also in my 20s I, I actually just didn't write so, so I feel like I maybe didn't necessarily overcome it as I as I kind of should have done and maybe could have done um because I I did just feel a bit hesitant and I think it had always been something that I was quite sensitive about um you know, I think it was the idea that I think some people might be able to go to a creative writing workshop and, you know, take on all, on board the feedback and enjoy that real dialogue. Um, but I don't think I was quite ready for that. <laughs> like, I think that might have, um, have done for me in a way more harm um, than good. And I think in a way it was a bit of a case of gaining some confidence in my 20s just in general and then realizing that this was something that, you know, I, I needed to give another shot and not to be kind of defeated by the idea that maybe you're not good enough because if you don't try, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. Like it, it's not going to happen if you're not writing and if you're not giving it a go. Totally. And I, I get so many questions even now, people saying, do I need to have an MA? Do I need to have a creative de- writing degree? Do I need to study? And I mean, each to their own, of course, but I'm sort of the school of thought that creativity sometimes can't actually be taught specifically it's kind of a bit more about more than that but um yeah that's so interesting and I mean maybe this is a cliche question but when you found out you got the book deal because it wasn't just a oh you've got a book deal it was quite a huge you know this book has been bought in multiple countries this is you know people had a huge reaction to it so you must have got that email and thought wow how was that did you have an inkling that it was going to touch on something or was it a bit a bit of a surprise it was I think a kind of rolling thing where at first you know the the, the, ob- the only objective really was to try to finish the novel that was the you know when I was writing that was the aim it was just try to get to the end um and then I think um things sort of you know then that you have your next, um, you know, your next ambition. You're like, okay, it will be amazing to get an agent. You know, I'll send this out to agents. And I think that when um, several agents were interested, that was the first moment that I was like, oh, like <laughs> this is going okay. Um, that is a good, you know, that's a good start. And I think that was probably the first moment when I felt like something could happen, and that maybe publication was you know a possibility at least um but but I don't think anything quite prepares you for for kind of having interest from publishers um it was definitely to me um still a shock and still is a shock I think you know I don't think it's worn off in the slightest to be honest um you know it feels just as surreal and um unexpected as I think anyone would would think. Uh, I don't know how you felt, Emma, but that was certainly my, yeah, my reaction is still sort of stunned disbelief. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And I think it sounds cheesy, but when something is a bit of a childhood dream, I think it's hard to compute it's happening because you can't quite realise that actually this thing's coming true and you kind of have to lean into it and enjoy it because you only publish your debut novel once, obviously, many books happen but 
it's really special. It's amazing. Um, so I didn't want to ask you the question of, you know, is Lex based on you? Because obviously that would be a weird question that we shouldn't ask women, female writers. Um, but she is a lawyer. She is, um, you know, a bit of a top lawyer. And you are a lawyer at Google. And it, it was interesting kind of knowing a bit about you only because we'd met before. I knew that you were a lawyer. Wouldn't have known otherwise. But um, was that kind of useful that you had the language to make her into this lawyer I mean there's lots of legal jargon in the book it was really interesting to read yeah I think it was useful and I I, what I quite like is I I think Lex is a much kind of better and more dedicated law firm lawyer than I could ever be um and you know there's lots of um I think there's lots of sort of uh stereotypes around you know as a lawyer kind of burnout and you know finding the hours difficult and you know how sort of you know, you're flying off around the world and, and stuff and I, I think I, I certainly kind of really struggled with that and I you know it wasn't for me um you know it, I, I found it exhausting and draining and what I wanted to do I think with Lex is in total contrast to me um, she finds real solace in that, um, you know, her job, you know, the, the sort of the landscape of it being these like offices and departure lounges and you know, these sort of clean hotel like, you know, spaces. For her, they are kind of where she finds great comfort in a way that I never did. Um, so it was quite nice to take, you know, some personal experiences and actually sort of flip them on their head slightly and have a character who sort of revels in something that, you know, you um, you couldn't handle. That's so, I love that because I guess it, it must be so fun because you can use the language you know and the bits of the character that you know, but also having fun with it and making a different version of what a lawyer is. Yeah, I definitely read into that in the book thinking she... She's sort of, it's a little bit of escapism because I think work, being a workaholic is a little bit of escapism, isn't it? You, It's like your safety net is always there for you. And I kind of felt like she needed that. But yeah, um, yeah definitely. With that, with um, building all the different characters and getting to know them, how did you build this cast of siblings? Did you have any sort of process for, because they're so layered, they're so nuanced, they were very very real when reading did you have any sort of I know that lots of authors kind of make little lists of their star signs and their um you know their music tastes and things like that but was there anything you did around getting to getting really under the skin um I don't think there was anything sort of specific um you know I've heard the same you like you could you'd be able to answer a series of your 50 questions about your characters and I didn't do anything kind of specifically like that um but, but what I probably would say is um they 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 were an absolute like obsession for me um during the time that I was writing the book and I you know I, I, I sort of felt about them and thought about them as I would um you know and it sounds sort of slightly tragic but as I would um, like real real people in real life and kind of mold them over um, endlessly I guess um, and I think to me that was the complete you know joy of writing 
Burley was having these kind of really different characters and creating their relationships and dynamics with each other and the, you know, the dialogue, whether it's kind of Lex and Evie's really kind of tender, you know, conversations just before they go to bed in the same room and or if it's, you know, Ethan and Lex and Delilah and Lex who where there's real kind of strains to the relationship. Um, it was just really a case, I think, of kind of turning them over, like stone-like, you know, over and over for um, probably kind of 18 months. And, and then, you know, in the editing process, another six months just to kind of get them and their dialogue and, you know, their reactions exactly where I wanted them, I'd say. Wow. And were they real to you just by just through your own imagination or did you have any sort of real life references because I know there's been similarities made to with girl a and room for example I know Emma Donahue she didn't she I think she watched a YouTube clip of um of, of a similar situation and that and then you know her imagination kind of ran wild but it was definitely triggered by a new story did you did that happen to you or was it an amalgamation of lots of things I think it was an amalgamation of lots of things. Um, I, I kind of, um, you know, I think the fact that I don't have siblings was a real massive thing in, in wanting to create this kind of big fictional family. Um, and I think in lots of kind of other medium, I've sort of seen that like, you know, like in Succession, the siblings in that TV show and in um, Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections, um, in Royal Tenenbaums, Little Women. I think there's kind of a lot, lots and lots of kind of fantastic fictional families. And I kind of wanted to emulate that, I think, definitely. Um, and then the, there were um, a few true crime stories. You know, I'm, I'm a big um, consumer of true crime um, everything from serial, you know, making a murderer, all of the things that I imagine lots of people on this um, who are watching um, have, have sort of seen. Um, so definitely the Turpin case that took place in 2018, um, the, 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 the West family case being this kind of massive media circus was sort of something that I think asked me to think about, well, what happens after these news stories have taken place, you know, and you're kind of known and re renowned for this one awful thing, but you've got the rest of your life to, to live. And that, I think that question was, was sort of haunting me um, for a while. So I say it was that kind of combination of the siblings and then also this question of, well, what would put a family like that under, under pressure and, you know, how then would they live with this shared childhood into the months and the years and the decades that, that come after and how would that affect their relationships sort of forged as children but but now kind of having to deal with the strain of growing up as well oh my god I'm sorry but it's even more impressive because of the fact that you're an only child I think just because it's it's such a you know, the comparison and the competitiveness of those siblings. And I know that you can get that with friendships as well and you can get that with other family members. It's not really a sibling thing, but the the layers with each sibling and how, and how they grew up together and how they had to be adults together. I mean, I know the book is full of flashbacks and, and present day, but did you have to write it sort of chronologically in order to grow with them? 
or maybe that's asking too much about your process <laughs> no no not at all I did for the most part I, I wrote it um kind of as it is on the page but but what I really wanted to think about was it, by having the sort of scenes of of the Gracie family as children and then as adults. I did want there to be this kind of dialogue in terms of like who they were and what they went through um, versus like who they've become. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I think that that was something that I think um, kind of makes you maybe question your feelings for each of the characters. Um, So, you know, I think a lot of people say um, that Ethan likes his elder brother, like oh, he's like a kind of, you know, very questionable character as an adult. But I think having, you know, the scenes very close together to his adult behavior with, you know, him as a child, I hope that makes people question, well, you know, he what he went through, you know, would we have come out the same? Mm. Um, you know, would, would we have come out with kind of Lex's grace? and resilience or you know actually would we be compromised and I certainly can't say yeah with my myself that I'm sure that how I would have turned out under those circumstances yes and I think that's what's so amazing about this book is it could be marketed as this house of horrors thriller but actually when I read it it was such a story of humanity and love and hope actually within the cracks of the dark stuff there is moments of like, you know, very, it's a very emotional read. Um, But it reminded me of that. I don't know if it's Buddhist, but that sort of um, belief that we all have a basic good, like humans are good, Um, but it's just our experiences kind of shape us. And anyway, that's another tangent. But when I was reading your book, it made me realize that actually what people become as adults, are they 100% to blame? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's certainly something that I I you know, very much believe in terms of yeah I, I think that that in a way you can have a sort of certain um, like I, I know I have a certain smugness that oh whatever would have happened I I, I might have been I'd be fine and and yeah that's what I kind of want to, to question a bit in in girl A with, with the kind of different siblings and the fact that they all react so differently to. Um, to what's happened to them um, as to whether they can kind of hang on to the good. Um, but I'm so glad that you, yeah, that you kind of found hope and in it. Cause I think, I think it's a very hopeful, um, I think it's a very hopeful kind of novel. And I think some of that is just Lex's voice as a narrator and there is a humor there as well, um, both in her sort of observations and her kind of, you know, um, dryness and I think also kind of in her dialogue with with her siblings you know that although they have kind of very serious damaged relationships in some ways they also in other ways have like typical um sibling you know exactly as you said Emma totally I know I felt kind of proud of her when I was reading I was like you're doing really well like (laughs) this is you're doing better than I would I think like she's she's solid deep down (laughs) But um, I I wondered when you were writing those darker bits, because I am a bit of a wuss, I've got to say. Like, even when I'm watching TV, I'm like, is it an 18? Because I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> so when I was reading it, um, you know, it is unsettling. It's amazingly written, but it's um, books, I think, can be more unsettling sometimes because your imagination can spiral away with you. And I remember interviewing 
Caroline Kepnes once um, who wrote You and she said when she wrote her sort of very kind of violent scenes she actually picked up a mug and threw it across the room <laughs> once when she was in the cafe I think and startled everyone but did you ever have any moments where you were writing and you were I don't know you had to be alone it was kind of you know it's quite a physical thing writing in a weird way yeah, it was a time as well, especially when I was getting towards the um, the end of the book, um, when, and there are, you know, I think if, if there's going to be kind of any, you know, scary or dark scenes, they're probably kind of lurking there. Um, I, there was a time um, when my partner was, um, was away an awful deal in the in the evenings and I was also doing huge amounts of writing as well and there were definitely times um when I did kind of just get a bit uneasy um and sort of managed to slightly it's the same way I've, I've listened to true crime podcasts in the house alone and it's just a stupid it's just a stupid idea really isn't it um and I did find that that a slight kind of unease um I think for me as well, writing, you know, I quite like writing late at night, but um, in terms of sleeping afterwards, um, I find that my mind is still very much kind of with the characters wherever I've left them. And that's not conducive to to a good night's sleep. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> so, so I definitely had some kind of nighttime hauntings, I think, when writing um, particular parts of six. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, I can imagine. And I mean, did you find that you had to make an effort to switch off then and set that boundary of I'm done with the book for today? Um, yeah, a bit. I think it's it's almost the case of, you know, how some people put their phones away, um, you know, at like 10 p.m. I think I need like a writing deadline, uh, which is sort of <laughs> frustrating because I quite like writing, um, quite like writing to the evening. But um, yeah, I don't think it's a particularly healthy, um, healthy approach to, to writing um, at all. Um, I definitely get, yeah, get a sort of like hangover into the evening of, um, of just considering what I've written. And, you know, both the sort of, both from a kind of, you know, if the scene is dark, you know, to, to be sort of haunted by that. But I think also it's just a case that your mind kind of keeps working um mm-hmm. and turning things over and trying to find solutions in a way that is helpful but also incredibly unhelpful oh it's it's so fascinating that though that when you're writing some of the work isn't actually the words coming out it's like all of the mind stuff which is yeah crazy but um I I used to get up at 3 a.m if I had a thought and start writing and I just I'm like I can't do that now I'm not I'm just I can't function it's not a good not idea not a way to live not a way to live <laughs> but anyone watching uh, anyone reading the book um you know it's it's, de- it's so cinematic and you you are just living this story I don't think it comes to a surprise to anyone that this is gonna be a tv show is that right a t is tv not film yeah, yeah oh, it's series is the wow. intention yeah I know that you don't know you know you're not completely in the loop necessarily on everything but is there anything you can share with us if we're just getting excited yeah I can share a little I I think and it is still kind of up in the air but I think that if it um if it all goes ahead it would be set in um, the Pacific North 
West in the US um, rather than in the UK. Um, I think that essentially the Lex's um, locations will be flipped. So she would be a lawyer in London, um, working in London and then sort of be summoned back um, to the US. So that would be a kind of a, a difference. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think what what is really exciting is that Johan Renk, you know, has read Girl A and loved it and is sort of, I, I think he has kind of lots of ideas about how the house would be presented. Um, you know, the, the house that um, where the Gracie children grow up um, on Moorwoods Road. And I think he very much sees that as a character um, in its own right, which, which is kind of very sort of strongly how how I feel. And I think, you know, there's the, certainly in books, I've, I I love the sort of location acting as as another character. I'm thinking of like, you know, like the famous like the House of Usher, like Poe's House of Usher or um, Austin Friars in Hilary Mantel's um, Wolf Hall trilogy I think those locations they they just have a complete life of their own within the book and I think that yeah that that's I love that idea of the house being such a kind of important presence for all of the the children and I think you know they, they sometimes talk about it almost as if it was another um, member of the family when their childhood, you know, like returning to the house or, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the house, like I won't have anything to do with the house. Um, and so I loved that he was so um, interested in that idea of, of the house kind of in its, in its own right. Oh, yes. Because any sort of house that has had awful things happen inside have an energy around them and from that perspective you think well of course it's sort of living and breathing in its own right so that's that's amazing um and I I mean I want maybe it ties into this a little bit but I wondered if after writing Erlaine obviously it coming out and you having been obsessed with it as you know we all are when we're writing the book how was it kind of handing it over maybe to him but also to us as as the readers was it strange to part ways with it a bit or is it still still there part of you uh, so I, I have a sort of very um very open attitude in terms of like when I think when the when girl is you know now it's finished and it's published which is still strange to say um, you know, it, it very much belongs to readers. And, you know, I don't have any authority, I think, kind of to say, you know, anything that has more value than any reader would definitely. I think it's a complete like joy of writing and then having like readers basically share and like own the, the novel that I think that's just in- incredible. It's like the best part of, of being published. Um, I guess I do have some sort of sadness um, about about kind of finishing um, writing it. Um, I think a lot of it lies in um, in probably a sadness about kind of um, no longer writing uh, Lex's narrative voice. Um, I'm not even sure if I kind of could now, and I think that's you know that that is quite strange. You have such a sort of fixation on on this story for, for years, really, you know, kind of, it's sort of years of your life. Um, 
but but you know I think that ultimately the fact that the characters get to kind of go off and and be known by so many readers that is kind of also this massive privilege and pleasure and and I just sort of can't wait to hear what everybody makes of them um yeah it's it's sort of like a very it's a bittersweet but mostly pretty cool (laughs) yeah yeah and also because we know them so well now it's going to be exciting to see them on screen because I think seeing your own imagination reflected back to you is really exciting you're like you you know the bits that you want to see and you know they're going to be in there and yeah it's going to be amazing um and I don't normally just throw this out there because I find it an annoying question when people are like are you working on another one when you've just spent like years of your life working on this one but I do know you're already working on another one so I feel like I can ask you but has this been a different process because you know just on a basic level like you now know you you've written a novel you can write another one it's, it's, it's different maybe from putting it out there and not knowing yeah, it's strange because it does, it feels, um, it feels just as impossible as girl I felt at times, um, at least at present. Um, I, it's, it's nice because I'm really, um, I'm kind of enjoying writing it um, a, a sort of a great deal. Um, and I feel like I'm now in the stage where I'm sort of really enjoying it rather than um, kind of feeling a little daunted. Um, yeah, it's, 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 kind of odd to be talking so much about girl a because I think your your mind sort of has in a way has to be focused on the next book and the kind of characters in that and I think you know that has to in a way become the new obsession mm-hmm. um uh, but yeah it, it's it, what's good is there are definitely themes that my new book has in common with with girl a um, it deals kind of very heavily with uh, conspiracy theories and um, it, it begins with a, an attack um, that uh, and follows two characters in the aftermath of that, um, one of who loses her mother in, in this event and another who thinks that the whole thing is a hoax and sort of sets out to, to disprove it. And it follows this, those kind of two characters in the, in the aftermath and in the um, time that, that follows. So it, it has that kind of same, I think, um, in a way that the children in Girl A sort of see their childhood in very different ways and have very different memories. It, it deals with that kind of interpretation of, of a particular event scene you know, hugely differently um, by by two characters. Uh, And I think it, you know, it kind of also deals with with trauma and particularly how this event affects the the town um, where it takes place. So, you know, I I think there are this sort of, there's those strands that that it's nice that kind of, that they they interweave a bit. And I don't feel like in talking about Girl A, I'm kind of, you know, moving too far away from um from what I'm writing at present oh it sounds amazing sounds like for fans of girl a buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so good and I guess for any writers who might be tuning into this how do you know when to stick with an idea because it's such a such a big investment isn't it and sometimes and this is me being nosy because I have so many ideas and then you're like which one do I want to commit to yeah, I don't. I don't know if I know the answer to that. That's a really tough question. Yeah, um, you don't have to answer that. I mean, that. <laughs> I kind of want to say it's, it's the one that becomes the obsession. Um, yes. Yeah. 
I guess. And yeah, the, the one that sort of won't quite go away. <laughs> but that's when you're in the shower, it, it just comes back to you. Yeah, the one that is sort of yeah, there that already feels slightly real, I guess. Yeah, but also it's, it's hard to it, it's hard to tell. And I think if there are people who kind of who write on the call, I think the nice thing is that, you, you know, you can nothing is kind of irreversible and you can write, you know, you can invest thousands of words in something and either um, amend it or um you know I, I think none of it's wasted is, is what I'm kind of trying to say in that I wrote I mean there's a lot of notebooks full of stuff that did not become <laughs> a novel um and what what was actually kind of quite strange is at least some some parts of it and some paragraphs that were written um particularly around one of the characters in Gurley um uh actually I did go back to you know, stuff that I was with that was written when I was kind of maybe 24 25 you know four years before I even thought about writing girl a um from an old notebook is in the it is in the final um novel in terms of um the character Greg Jameson um one of the policemen working on on the case so yeah, I, I feel like although it might not be the the final idea that sticks, it's not kind of wasted words. Yes, yes, that's what we want to hear, isn't it? When you know, because you know, it's you're going to write two, three novels when you're writing one novel, which is kind of daunting. But what what you kind of have to remember is you're never wasting any of it, even the bits you cut. So that, yeah. is, that is good to know, and in, and very motivating for anyone to get a new notebook. <laughs> For this year because just write things down well thank you so much abby for allowing me to um pick your brain about the book because i you know you know how much i loved it and so exciting to see everyone else getting to read it now thanks so much emma no it's um thank you and thank you for reading it like when you know you had, you had no idea what it would be like and you know it, it's great and really generous thank you oh. Thank you for receiving my intense message while I was crying at the end. Um, so I'm going to go over to some Q&A audience questions now. So if you have a question for Abby, then just put it in the chat or the Q&A box. And um, yeah, we'll read some out. So we have one in from Sam Power. What are your favourite qualities in novels? What do you read? What are your ins Which novels were your inspirations? Oh, and who is your desert island author? Uh, so there were there were quite a few inspirations and sort of things that I was reading um, and thinking of. Um, I just before I sort of started working on Girl A or around around the time I was sort of just beginning it, I read A Little Life um, by Hanya Yanagihara. Um, and I loved that novel and it completely devastated me um you know it was I, I remember very vividly reading it um on a plane and honestly the, the air steward asking me if I was okay which is not great um, but but I think from that I remember really um feeling that like the, the parts that stuck with me most were the sort of um were the kind of tender um friendships of that novel and um, that that's kind of what I remember and I think I, I you know I feel like the fact that Gurley I think does feel like a hopeful book and kind of in the face of 
there you know I think that was something that I very much sort of carried through from from reading A Little Life because those were the bits that got me really it was it was the hope um and I also um I also love uh The Road by Cormac McCarthy um for that kind of mix of really beautiful relationships in a very kind of bleak setting um that was it's kind of one of my favorite novels and and yeah just just something I love um, and I also, um, this might, might actually be my kind of desert island writer. Um, I love um, Gillian Flynn. Um, so I love Gone Girl. I love Sharp Objects. And I think Sharp Objects in terms of creating a family and a family with such like dark dynamics and, you know, just a haunting family in, in their sort of like, you know, southern mansion. That was a real, um, a real inspiration um in terms of what like I guess what those things have in common so I think I look for just I, I, I basically love something that is beautifully written but that I can't stop reading mm-hmm. I, I, I I do love to have a kind of page turning element um you know where I don't want to turn off the lights um and paired with kind of gorgeous um writing you know at a sentence level where you can like read when you want to read stuff back that's kind of my there's my dream books love that I know I remember reading Gone Girl and I remember being on the tube because I obviously had a job different job then and I was annoyed just that anything was interrupting it it's not okay no how <laughs> dare I have to go to work um, yeah so I have another question from Jess Bickerton. Were there any significant parts of the plot that completely changed their original course as you were writing? So I think that Delilah's character changed quite a lot as I was writing. Um, and I won't, I kind of don't want to say too much um, about about her it's in case people kind of haven't read um haven't read girl a yet but i think in a way she was a much more straightforward character um in my first in when I, in my first draft um and and sort of somebody who um had very much kind of broken free of of the house and i think she ended up being a much more complicated um character um during the kind of six months of editing with my agent and um with phoebe my editor so so i definitely say um delilah yeah was a very very different person in the first draft so interesting taking on a life of her own maybe um Genevieve Maxted Tidy, thank you for your question. Hi, Abby. I love hearing about how obsessed you are with your characters. I'm struggling a little with dialogue at the moment. Did you use dialogue to drive the story and build their relationships, or did you find the characters developed in between their interactions? Long question short, how did you use dialogue in the novel? Um, I, so, yeah, I, I really, um, I really love writing dialogue, and I actually watch a lot of tv <laughs> and I don't know if this helps at all but I find that that tv dialogue is something that I find really um inspiring and sort of fantastic for helping write um write kind of dialogue on the page um I think I do use dialogue a lot for the for, for plot um I know I think Sally Rooney said recently when she was asked about the 
um, about, she was asked about sex in normal people. And she said that to her kind of um, a, a sex scene could be dialogue. And I think that is very kind of telling. Um, I mean, obviously she's incredible, but I think that that's telling in terms of dialogue being all sorts of different scenes. Um, you know, it can be kind of a scene of sex or violence or, so yeah, I think that I use dialogue a lot and kind of think that it has huge power, um, not least because people, um, people say and don't say things which are much more, which are very telling. Um, I think mm. as well, you know, what they say to different characters, you know, in a way is as telling as what a narrator might kind of confess to, um, to you know, in their actual written narrative. So yeah, my, my, yeah, my TV is, is my biggest kind of tip. I really love watching, like Succession, I think I already mentioned, I mean, just fantastic dialogue, um, you know, um, Sopranos, um, yeah, lot, lots of kind of amazing TV inspiration. The dialogue is amazing, but it's also incredible how there are scenes where maybe some characters aren't saying much and you're still getting a lot from it. I think that's a real talent. Um, another question from Ruth Hogg. Were you writing your, when you were writing your book, did you write by hand or on the computer? I wrote on the computer. Um, I used to write by hand uh, in when I was kind of doing sketches and short stories for a while. And I actually became quite focused on it. It was like, I have to write by hand. And as I kind of, I think novels are just like, they are long and it, it, it's, it kind of, it became less and less practical for me to be writing by hand. Um, yeah, that, so ultimately most of it was written on a laptop mm. or my phone. It is interesting by hand though, isn't it? Because you're, some more truths can come out. Maybe that's just me when I'm journaling my uh, my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think it can also be useful sometimes to kind of, especially obviously in terms of procrastinating, laptops are not great. Um, so I, I think what is really useful about writing by hand, at least sometimes, or if you're sort of stuck is you don't have the, or you rarely have the sort of, last stuff that you wrote looking at you in the face so I think the temptation to go back and edit is much reduced and that can only be a good thing at least for me so maybe it's sometimes it is good for that reason uh, another question from Stuart Cummings such a great read are there any parts of the novel that you're particularly proud of or stick in your mind as a favorite piece that's a good question thank you so much thank you so much Stuart um thank you for reading um I um I am proud of the ending um and the final uh the, the final kind of chapter um in particular uh it was something that I was always there and on the cards from when I started writing it you know I kind of had quite a clear idea of where it would end and I'm kind of really satisfied with with the with the ending and with the writing of the ending mm. Which leads us on to a question about crying. Um, from Amy Edwards, there are a few moments that made me cry. The situation with Jim, maybe I, I won't read out any spoilers. Did you find, I don't know if they are spoilers, sorry to whoever wrote this in. Did you find it difficult to write the more emotional moments? Thank you for your question. 
Yeah, I, I love that question and sorry as well. Um, I um, I do find it quite um, draining to, yeah, to write the emotional moments. Um, so it sounds a bit precious in a way, but um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you do get invested in in the characters, I think, as I, I sort of have indicated already. So um, yeah, I think that as particularly when you're first writing stuff, um, I definitely kind of can get quite emotional. I think that the, the editing process and the sort of review process takes the emotion away a bit because I think you have to be more kind of um, objective. And but but maybe in you know, the first kind of draft, I think there is certainly um, yeah, some emotion and there probably kind of should be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just reliving it in my head a little bit there. <laughs> Um, how did you know this is by Lucy Ash how did you know your novel was ready to send to agents um I so I I think it was I knew it was as good as it was I think it was the law of diminishing returns (laughs) is what I would say um so I think that you can definitely spend um forever trying to make something perfect and I was very very keen kind of not to do that because I think I would still be writing girl a now and I would probably still be changing semicolons to full stops I really would be um, so I think it felt like it was at a stage when I was not making it significantly better um, mm-hmm. is what I would say and yeah and I sort of knew that was the case and I'd shown it to a few people and had you know some really helpful feedback and some you know people who were kind of were enjoying reading it and I think that helped as well so sort of combination of maybe sharing it to the extent that you're comfortable and and then acknowledging that it's not going to be ever be perfect and it has to kind of go anyway Mm -hmm. and and that's and that doesn't matter that's fine (laughs) Do you think that sort of applies to the editing as well when it's when it's about to be published? I always think, how do you know when it's edited enough? Yeah, I actually I feel like that's maybe harder. And um, the I, I've sort of taken some consolation in um, Zadie Smith's quotes about this, where she sort of says, once the novel's kind of out of your hands, you're free to hate it. And I think that that's a very kind of healthy attitude to have that probably as soon as you know as soon as you sent it off to be you know actually printed it's like then you're free to sort of find more flaws and but there has to be at least one moment when in the editing process when you're like okay now that is okay and yes I can live with it and then it doesn't matter if you can't live with it next week because it's too late and then so you'll just Basically. have to not live with it for the rest of your life. That's fine. That is good advice and a good balance to be struck because I'm the other way. I'm just like throwing things at the wall. I'm like, that's done now, <laughs> which is not a good tip. Um, uh, oh, this is a good question by Ashling Brennan. Who would you cast as Lex? Oh, I, I always feel kind of really conflicted about um, about answering because if this ever actually you know if the tv show does happen um I'm gonna feel dreadful <laughs> oh yeah we no one leak it to the press and <laughs> <of>, uh guesses <laughs> uh 
Um, so, so voice-wise, I'm going to say that Holiday Granger on the audiobook is is just kind of incredible. She has, you know, the um, her accent is wonderful. She, her reading is just fantastic, um, and I was really moved and just over the moon with with the job she did. So she she is kind of just incredible. Um, I think that I often think of Lex as like at least looking a bit like Evan Rachel Wood um, for fans of. Westworld and 13 so but you know that's that's just me and I'm sure I'll be delighted whatever happens it's my caveat do you ever get because I I people and, and I count myself as this sort of person that I I used to assume the author was the casting director it's not not the way it works is it <laughs> no I, I I don't think I'll have much much say at all <laughs> and that's probably a good thing in a way because you know I it's nice that different um readers have different ideas of of what your characters do look like and kind of you know everything about them there you know I think that's quite sort of healthy in a way yeah uh this question by Anna Picard um is probably going to be a choosing your favorite child question who is your favorite character in Girl A or who did you <laughs> enjoy writing the most um my so my favorite character is Lex um you know I feel like I spent a lot of time with her so it's probably a good thing um the most enjoyable characters to write are probably vastly different I'd say that both Ethan and Delilah were very kind of fascinating characters to write um so yeah I think there was a kind of gulf between the two yeah um and oh what are you most looking forward to about this week of publication any any highlights already um this this is amazing (laughs) so thank you everybody so much for 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 joining and thank you emma um i think that the thing i'm most looking forward to is um hearing from readers and you know hearing their reactions to the story and to the characters. I think that, that that's sort of just incredible um, to me that, you know, that the people are reading my book and feeling stuff about it. And it's, yeah, that's sort of the dream come true in a way. And I think that's actually the only really bad thing about, um, you know, about publishing at this time is not getting to meet readers and have those conversations in person, but it's still lovely to have them um, remotely and on social media so yeah that that's just a total joy I know what you mean I was just thinking that actually the uh the experience of meeting readers is it's such a shame that we're missing out on that and yeah but it will happen I'm sure and there's always the paperback as well which I'm always thinking is like going to be another launch for all books (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I think there will be there'll be times in the future and your festivals and all the good stuff and you know I know that people are going to be remembering Olive Emma in particular for a very long time so I hope so I know I'm um I you know because I think weirdly and maybe selfishly sometimes we write about the topic we care so much about ourselves so it's never it's never finished the conversation is never over I feel I, f- I feel like I could talk about the topics and olive kind of forever so fingers crossed it will happen one day um we've got another one more question I think we've got time for but um there's a question from Matthew do you have more ideas for future novels beyond book two or is it hard to think that far ahead 
no Thanks pressure that. Abby I know <laughs> Um, I do have some ideas um, for other novels and they're probably truly a, a stage to even kind of imagine them being a novel yet. Um, but yeah, there's some things that I, I sort of am thinking about. Um, but at present, I've got to be obsessed with the conspiracies. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only option. <laughs> Yeah, love that. You're one track mind, one novel at yeah. a time. <laughs> I'm an awful multitasker as well, like really bad. So, so yeah. Too oh, amazing. Well, I can't wait to read the second book. And to everyone who tuned in, thank you so much for all your brilliant questions and um, making this Zoom as as amazing as we could, considering we're not in person. But um, congratulations on an amazing book, Abby. It's amazing. And so are you. So thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, yeah, and thank you, Emma. Um, it's been great. Um, and yeah, reach out to me on social media, say hello. Um, yeah, and thank you so much for reading.